Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, it's me, the governor of your state. Just letting you know that one of the safest things that you can do is sit in your home and turn on a couple episodes of this podcast. Before I continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. So just a programming note, this episode will be covering Act 2 of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. The next two episodes will be covering Act 3, which is the first half of Part 2. Those will be with Johnny Frolicstein. And I originally said it was going to be one episode, but we recorded it and made so much fun of that act that it's going to have to be two episodes. It's some of the best stuff we've ever recorded. So I'm really excited for you to listen to it. Just wanted to give you that update in case you were wondering, how come they didn't finish the act? He said it was just one episode per act. We had too much fun tearing down this play. Also, just wanted to say that if you're looking for some sense of community, maybe you're feeling a little alone in these strange times that are going on right now, Potterless has so many great options and I've been so happy to be a part of all of them. Over on the Discord, there's a lot of fun different chats that have been going on. People have been organizing Jackbox games, which have yielded many Potterless-related answers, which has been very fun. People have been sharing lots of fun posts on the Potterless Fancy private group over on Facebook and across the rest of social media from Twitter to Instagram to Reddit. There have been some really great and fun moments with people interacting, and I'm very proud of this community for banding together, and if you need a friend, maybe from afar, maybe close to you, I would say check out Potterless in some form. If you want to get access to the Discord, just go to patreon.com Potterless, and if you want to get access to the other stuff, just search for Potterless on your your preferred social media platform. And speaking of contributing to this awesome Potterless community, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Josh Oakland, Sol Peru, Jacqueline Victoria, Olga O, Brenda Berry, Reese Giffen, Sidel Whip, Elizabeth Phelps, Danielle Guibolt, Jessica Elise1987, Aaron Best, Scott Money, Laura Anderson, Kate, Francis Kane, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Ali F., James Salako, Kirsty Arume, Hannah Hoppola, Brandy Zukowski, and Charlie Lawson. A pronunciation correction for Andren Kaufman. Shout out to Line Reichheld Forland and Ritwick Devakaru who upgraded their pledge. A huge shout out to Danae Ferguson and Michelle Spurgeon, who upgraded to the producer level status as well as our new producer level patrons, Calista Delano, and someone that made their name she who doesn't have to be named. They joined the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rose, Marie, Maria, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Haley, Moster, Alex, John, Noel, Liz, Brandon, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Summer, Andrea, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Alicia, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Eileen Keegan, Mr. Folk, Maya, Floor Siri, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Elizabeth, Michael, Tiffany, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Aurora, Marcus, Courtney, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Brianna, McKenna, Heather, Brad, Thomas, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Jarl, Haley, Ashley, Peter, Sophie, Jenna, Nicole, Callahan, Kylo, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Bill, Victoria, Elizabeth, Britt, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, T Run, Madison, Kyle, Tonks, GK, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, David, Maria, Matt, Okamahime, Yimki, Bony Pony, Jacob, Kelsey, Taco, Blowfish, Rike, Taylor, Rochelle, Megan, Alicia, Riley, Colleen, Stin, Laurel, Rossanne, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Richard, Sandra, Craig, Andren, K.A., Steve, Leor, Angela, Demi, Kelsey, Michael, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I 
Harry Potter? Who never make boneheaded moves that cost them the game when they're playing chess? If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content such as director's commentary, bonus episodes, exclusive monthly live streams, exclusive merchandise, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 123, covering part one, act two of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, guest starring Pro Makosla. internet and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who didn't read the Harry Potter books as a kid. He read them as an adult. He watched the movies and now he's making his way through the other content. My name is Mike Schubert. I am that grown man and I am joined today again by Promo Kosla, an entertainment reporter for Mashable as well as someone that did a lot of work with mischief management and that I have done work with on LeakyCon panels before. Promo, how's it going? Uh, now I'm just stressed thinking about this play, man. <laughs> yeah, a week has passed in real people's listening times, but in our real life for recording this, it's only been about a 10-minute break, <laughs> which isn't long enough to digest what we had to talk about last time. I like the idea that when these people are listening, I also have been thinking about it for a week and just can't escape <laughs> the shadow of just, curse just staying up at night in a cold sweat. Oh, no. In a very real sense, I haven't shaken it in almost four years. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I feel like the fandom has just kind of collectively pretended it's not canon, yeah, and just have collectively dismissed it. Well, we did. We talked about this when we first started discussing Chris Child. I do know a lot of people, like in like deep in fandom, a lot of people, particularly for mischief management, who love this story, love this play. They accept that the script is not the best form of it, but a lot of them also saw it for the first time on stage before they read it, like at the same time, like went to opening night while the rest of us were like in our hotel rooms reading. And so they had a very different experience with it. When your first exposure is that like magical stage experience, it does do something. It is more digestible in that form, but oh, it's a bad story. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about specifically in this episode is the plot and the story. So this is why these are going to skew more negative. I didn't hate it as a play. The only parts I didn't enjoy was the story. All the other parts are great, but the story is important. It's a play. The story is kind of a big deal. Like, wouldn't it be nice to just build this around a better story instead of just build it around cool visual effects and money? Right. I, <laughs> that's the thing is those can only get you so far and they can only mask up a bad story so much. The effects and stuff are really cool, but I, at least for me personally, seeing it first and then reading it didn't really make me think of it much differently. It did help with reading it because I could picture how they did it. I feel even more sympathetic for people that just read this first. Because I don't know <laughs> how you, you picture some of this stuff or interpret some of these lines without knowing what it looks like. Some things are just very... I've suffered a great deal. <laughs> it's just a lot of things are described in confusing manners, especially in Act 2, which we'll be talking about today. So we begin with Act 2, Scene 1, which is a dream in Privet Drive. This flashback at least is somewhat interesting because it's not just copy-pasted from a previous book. So you have Petunia busting into Harry's room under the stairs to wake him up, saying that he needs to do more cleaning because he's done an insufficient job. And then you see that Harry has wet the bed and she shames him for this, which feels just like adding insult to injury and feels incredibly unnecessary, but I guess it's Petunia. But then uh, the dream continues and it morphs into the forest and then there's some parcel tongue happening. And again, this dream ends with very much Voldemort's voice saying, Harry Potter. And that's the end of uh, this little dream. This and the uh, flashback to Sorcerer's Stone in Act One. I just wonder what was going through the writers' heads when they put this in, because it's a clear juxtaposition 
with the original books and you're setting yourself up there. Like, I mean, I'm reading this now and I know it's bad. I don't know if they knew it was bad when they were writing it, but to then be like, Hey, you know what? Let's remind people of the book that made them fall in love with all of this and the characters then and <laughs> oh, so Harry yeah, as you're... a child and like just taking me back to that and being like, wow, I care so much more about that. And I want to see that. And I suddenly was like, maybe I would watch a private drive prequel, uh, which is a messed up thing to say. <laughs> It's funny. I've never thought of it that way. It would be like, for me, I'm a New York Knicks fan and we have been very, very bad at basketball for quite some time now. But it would be pretty disheartening if while I was watching current New York Knicks games, if all of the commercials were just highlights of when the Knicks were good. Yeah. Be very sad to be reminded of, oh no, I'm watching a bad product and it used to be so much better. Take me back. Please. Yeah, that's kind of what it, that's what it feels like. That's funny. I never thought of it that way. So the next scene is what it always is after these dream sequences, which is Harry waking up, telling the dream to Ginny, even though we all just saw the dream. (laughs) We We all did. Everyone saw it. We all read it. We're there. (laughs) But then Harry says that he saw Albus wearing Durmstrang robes. He thinks he knows where he is. And that's the end of the scene. The only note I have on this scene is... Cool. I think you're being generous with that note. Like many scenes throughout this story, this is entirely unnecessary. So the next scene is at Hogwarts in McGonagall, the headmistress's office. It's the squad plus Ginny and Draco all flew powdering in at different times. And apparently Ginny had put an emergency edition of The Prophet out which I guess is a thing. It's so funny to think about wizarding technology that they have to put out an emergency newspaper. Yeah. It's 2016. I can't believe the prophet's still in print. The only way it's still in print is if it had a radical revamp of what it does. It can't still be the one-sided news source that we knew so well in the book series. There's no way that could thrive. And I know they're not doing like digital profit with the subscription or something, but I just, (laughs) as someone in journalism right now, I'm like, how is this? I am very annoyed by newspaper websites. Mainly the New York Times does this, where I guess I've, in my career, read too many free articles on the New York Times. Because if I'm in Google Chrome and I open New York Times, a little thing will pop up and be like, you want to keep reading this article? You need to subscribe to the New York Times. And then I try to open up an incognito window. And it's like, you're in an incognito window? No, no, no. You need to subscribe to the New York Times. And then I have to open Safari. It's like, I just just want to read read the news. I just want to know what's up. This article about coronavirus, New York Times, please. You can't give me an article that's called how to stay safe. And then when I'm trying to stay safe, you tell me, "Mm, and give us some money for this. Give us some money. I'm going to read a different article. I think they have made the urgent, like the coronavirus stuff free now. But like, that's the minimum amount is to give people the news. (laughs) That's a thing. If you're going to be a news source, I can get it because in Chrome, I have ad blocker on. I can get it if you're shaming me there. But if I'm in an incognito window, just let me live and read your article. (laughs) Don't shame me. Um, But I'm glad that Junia's sports editor has enough pull to get them to put out a whole emergency edition of the paper. That's what's so strange. That is so bonkers that basically the head of ESPN is telling them, guys, my son is missing. You got to put out an emergency profit. I hope they pull those resources for every editor's children. Can you hear my heater hissing and spitting right now? A little bit. Demanding attention. (laughs) Hey, it's Editing Mike, serving as New York City correspondent here for all of you that don't live in the large apple. Sometimes you live in an old building, and when you do, you usually have a radiator that is also old, and you don't get to decide when it turns on or not. And when it's on, it makes a loud noise, and you just kind of have to deal with it. That's what happened here. Don't worry, it doesn't last long. It tries to fight back later on in the episode, but with the power of software editing, I have killed it and done my best to make this as nice sounding as possible. Please just bear with us. We don't get to go to studios in the quarantine times. 
we have to make do with what we've got. So hopefully you understand in a little bit the rest of the episode is going to sound totally fine. When Draco enters, he apologizes for getting soot on the floor. And McGonagall, I'm glad she's still funny in this story, says that it's her fault for owning a chimney. And then they go into the Forbidden Forest, and that's the end of the scene. Again, very useful scene with the adults. We really needed this one. I do love seeing more McGonagall, so I'm not going to complain, but it felt like the scene is not hyper necessary. So we move on to Act 2, Scene 4, which is at the edge of the Forbidden Forest. We have Albus and Delphi practicing Expelliarmus, which is a classic Potter move. Runs in the family to only know the one spell. If he wants to rebel against his dad, the best way to do it would be to (laughs) never use this spell. (laughs) That's so true. Scorpius looks on, and the narrator says that it's part jealousy of seeing Albus with the girl, but also part being proud of him. So it's a complex emotions because Scorpius is a good character and I like it and he's complex and it's nice and I enjoy it. And I wish he was in every single scene. Delphi, which as you will learn later on, spoiler alert again, for anyone that doesn't know the plots later on, Delphi is the bad guy and this is all a trick. So her pulling the, we're friends, aren't we? Which seems so nice at the time is, oh, it's very devious. I think she is a well-crafted villain, even though some of her plot stuff doesn't make sense. I still think that the way she behaves is very villainous, and I like it. It's a little strange because she's supposed to be like 19 or 20. She's supposed to be 20, so it's a little weird. It's six years of age difference, which when she's semi-flirting with Albus, that feels kind of weird. Yes, and I under- before that, when it's she's supposed to be this like lonely child and is just happy to find other misfits and see company, that is a very... Harry Potter thing, and that feels fine, but yeah, the flirting. <laughs> flirting, and then Scorpius is very encouraging of like, ooh, you're into an older woman. Right. The flirting stuff feels a little strange, but also it is such a 14-year-old boy thing to think, oh, this 20-year-old is so into me because she's talking to yeah. me. So I simultaneously get it and am uncomfortable by it at the same time. It weirdly makes me feel better about it, knowing that she's a villain and this was all a plot. I can digest it more because <laughs> I know it, there's no genuineness on her end, which is the worst end since she is older. I think it is natural for a 14-year-old boy that doesn't have a lot of friends that is interested in women. If a woman is spending time and talking to him, he would think, oh boy, oh wow, oh geez. Also, he's in love with his best friend and he doesn't know it. He, so uh, he's just going to the first girl he sees. <laughs> This whole story could have been salvaged. This whole thing. I genuinely would have forgiven. When I was reading it too, I was like, you know what? If these two are in love, it's fine. I will accept a lot of the other problems with it. And she just didn't. What's also bananas, no one in this story is gay, are they? Not a single person. Yeah. Not a single person. (sighs) And she made this whole big deal of Dumbledore being gay. You think in 2016 you would have written in one gay character? Just one. Yeah, and the Dumbledore thing too was like, it got such applause when she declared it. People have loved that, you know, and obviously become more critical of it since then because we've gotten very little extra with it. Yeah. Do the extra work. Bring in a new character. Start from scratch. Dumbledore grew up in a different time, had a different history, family. He had his own reasons for guarding his secrets, maybe. But it wouldn't it be nice if in 2016 or whenever the story is set years after... Harry and his friends are at school, that the wizarding world is also more open and accepting of queerness? Just have Dean Thomas and Seamus Finnegan walk in hand in hand. (sighs) They're working at the ministry and they're married like they should be. And boom, we're all good. Oh my God, I'm getting emotional with Chris Child in front of me. (laughs) Just rip out the pages and use it as tissues. It's chill. (laughs) Probably a better better use of it. So their plan is to go back and have Cedric mess up the first task so that he isn't in the running to win the third task or tie with Harry to win it, and then he won't get killed. And I gotta say, I'm mad about the time turning, but this isn't the worst 
plan. It is, I think, a good thought to say, let's go back in time and do the tiniest of change. They don't go back and try to remove Cedric from the school or something. It's just, let's make him lose the first task so he doesn't win the third. I think is actually, obviously, it goes on to not work. But I did like that their plan wasn't that stupid. Mm. I don't think I even I can even get into that detail. I just, I'm still so, this whole, <laughs> let's go back to freaking 1995 right. and focus on this specific event and the specific person is so much. Um, but I do agree. Yeah, going back to the third test would have been extremely dangerous and they would for sure have gotten killed. Right. Yeah, going all the way back to 94, a bit much. But I don't know. I'm trying to be as positive about the positive things in this play as I can be. I don't want to be constantly <laughs> shitting on stuff. So I'm just going to keep talking about Scorpius Malfoy. So, <laughs> so Delphi has brought Durmstrang robes for them to wear, which is also smart because if they were Hogwarts students, they would expect to know other people. It's easier for them to blend into the background. Yes, that is clever. And I do like the way that it's, that is explained as well. Yeah. There are other things we've talked about that are very expository and not earned and the explanation takes away from it. In this case, it's like, this is a normal way of explaining a thing that needs to be explained in the moment. Yes, I think it was very well done, and I wish more things would have been like this. Scorpius raises a good point that Delphi shouldn't come because she's too old, and where is she going to hide? She's upset at first, but eventually comes around to it, then kisses Albus on both cheeks, which is weird, but again, we've talked about why it's all part of her plan, so we're not going to feel gross about it. Uh, and, and Scorpius, when she leaves, points out that she didn't kiss him, then says Al looks pale and red at the same time, pale and red at the same time, just not getting the point that he could say you've turned pink, which, God, he's so good. He's he's so great. This is and great. it just makes me more confused that Scorpius can be such an interesting character and there are none going forward that I find nearly as interesting as him. Yeah, I don't like when it's very obvious in any given text or medium that all of the effort has been concentrated in one place. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I wonder if it was, if JK wrote Scorpius <laughs> and then didn't focus on anything else. Oh, I would love that. Wouldn't we love that to be true? So act two, scene five is in the Forbidden Forest. It's just Harry having an ominous conversation with Bane. Bane says that there's a dark cloud around Albus and... Harry doesn't give this too much thought until later when he talks to Albus Dumbledore, but we move on to scene six, which is at the edge of the Forbidden Forest. So Scorpius and Al have a little conversation about how Scorpius always longed to go to Hogwarts ever since he was a kid, and he was just convinced that something would go wrong and he couldn't go, and he was just so happy to be there, and he was just happy to be at the magical school and to have a friend despite all the wrong that has happened to him. And again, really great moment from Scorpius. I thought this was a really great quote. It makes Albus feel better about the situation. Ah, he's wonderful. Truly wonderful. Yeah, this is lovely. And again, it's one of those many moments, many opportunities Albus has given throughout the play to kind of see sense and check himself. And he doesn't really take it as that. He's just like, oh, thanks, I am great. <laughs> Which, you know, pretty well written if he's the son of Harry Potter. <laughs> I guess that's true. Also, something that just threw me that I've never thought about complexity before, but I was always wondering why the line mayhem to the nth degree like struck me and I just assumed it was because like I don't really like math and I was triggered to see that but <laughs> wizards don't take math in school this is a no, huge point of contention for me but he doesn't know nth degree he might have elementary school math but Scorpius I'm calling that you don't know what I mean <laughs> he's just heard this phrase he doesn't know where it comes from he doesn't know the origins he's never done complex math it's fine he's still great we've all regurgitated things that we don't know the meaning behind thinking that we do trying to act cool and used it wrong. We've all said words that we don't know what they are. I'm not mad at him. If any character can do it, it's him. <laughs> so then they use the time turner 
And that is the end of the scene. So the next scene is them at the Triwizard Tournament in 1994. There is a quote which makes me very happy because as everyone listening is well aware, I have quite an obsession with Ludo Bagman because I was very convinced that he was the bad guy in the fourth book. And that was a whole ordeal over the span of 10 episodes of Potterless. But the narrator says, quote, and suddenly the greatest showman on earth, and then in parentheses, which JK loves parentheses, she says, his words, not ours, is on stage, sonorous to amplify his voice, and well, he's having a ball. And it's Ludo Bagman. I'm so happy. (laughs) Now, this is something I was confused. When you saw the plays, was Ludo Bagman actually on stage? Because when I saw it, he was just a voice. Uh, I can't remember. I feel like I can picture both versions. I feel like I'm also picturing the version um, with the wand pointed at his throat, mm-hmm. like they do in the movie, which I don't love because it's like touching the whole time. Yeah. But I don't remember. When I saw it, I am pretty sure either I got him confused with all the other people on stage and I just didn't see it. And granted, my seats weren't great because I'm not made of money and I had to pay for two plays. Money! <laughs> but I was pretty sure he was just a voice, which made me really excited because I was not expecting Ludo Bagman to be in the play. I do. I don't think he was there. At least in some scenes, he wasn't there. Yeah, I know later on it's just his voice, but I'm pretty sure it was just his voice. It made me very excited because I think I've probably shot myself in the foot of this happening because I've called out JK's awfulness on Twitter too many times. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably out of the cards, but I would love, I know Broadway sometimes does, uh, what's the name of it? Not bit casting, but when they cast someone intentionally just to make headlines. Oh, God. Is it stunt casting? Stunt casting. casting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they've done that for Mean Girls where they just hire people that have internet presences and people get very mad because it's clearly just to put butts in seats, but what are you going to do? I would love to be stunt casted as Ludo Bagman. Please. My whole career is using my voice. Let me be Ludo Bagman. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Reopen Broadway and cast Mike. (laughs) Just don't look at my Twitter, JK, or just don't pay attention to the hiring process. Or maybe do. I do think it could do her some good to look at people's Twitters once in a while and get some context and then stop. (laughs) Apparently her new deal, we're recording this on April 2nd, and she's just come back to Twitter this week and thought that we've all forgotten that she was a turf on Twitter. (laughs) We've all just swept it under the rug. But I'm so mad because she's come back to Twitter and she's just posting like cute photos of her dogs. And I was like, you mean you could have been just posting cute photos of your dogs for years now, and instead you chose to be a turf. You could have been so good at Twitter. You tweeted the thing about wizard poops, and you could have given us just cute dog pictures. You are following all these weird transphobic accounts and tweeting awful things, but instead you could just do cute Harry Potter stuff all the time. (sighs) But yeah, she's back this week and thinking we're all going to forget stuff. But now she just blocks people that call her out. (laughs) So every now and then I check to see if I'm blocked, but I haven't been yet, so (laughs) woohoo! So Ludo Bagman is in the mix. He's actually fantastic. He has some really great jokes. He makes fun of the French. He does a thing where he calls for Hogwarts students to cheer, and he calls for Durmstrang students to cheer, and he calls for the Bobatin students to cheer, and their cheer is noted as being quieter. He's like, oh, the French are really into this one. (laughs) It's a very English thing to do to be like down on the French. Yeah, they dislike each other. So I love JK writing in a little anti-French pot shot in here. Also, there's nothing he won't try on a broomstick. Victor Crazy Crumb. Just this, Pretty good. these clauses. <laughs> it's so good. Weird thing to say about it. Well, no, Crumb's 18, but still, St- yeah. it's just a strange thing to say about a student. But I like the idea that Ludo, the showman, is just getting so into it. Mm-hmm. But he does go on to call Cedric. Uh, he talks about how hot he is, saying that it makes everyone weak in the <laughs> knees, which feels weird because Cedric is definitely... 17 years old, yeah. in his sixth year, not an adult, calls him Cedric Delicious Diggory, 
feel super gross. Well, I think that's of age in the wizarding world, like 16 or 17. 17 but. is, but he's in his sixth year. And yeah. it's, it feels like seventh years are considered adults and sixth years are not. And he's a six year and I don't enjoy this. Another thing that when Ludo is introducing Crumb, he says, what a gate? G-A-I-T. Is that a regular word or is this a British word that I'm unfamiliar with? No, that's a, yeah, that's a regular word. Oh, it's a regular word. word. What does that mean? I don't know if there's a synonym, but it is like it's the way that someone walks. Oh, okay. I've Googled it. Dictionary.com says literally a person's manner of walking. Yeah, yeah. Like, so the gate of like a dancer's gate. Oh, so by saying what a gate, it's saying what a walk. Yeah. So he's got a nice walk. I thought he was calling him a gate. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Well, okay. Cool, cool, cool. What eyebrows, what a gate, what a boy. <laughs> But he does when he introduces Fleur de Lacour. He says, Zoot Allure, it's Fleur de Lacour. And that's amazing. That's brilliant. That is yeah. the highlight of this book. <laughs> <laughs> Zoot Allure, Fleur de Lacour. Holy yeah. crap. I'm in love with Ludo Bagman and not ironically. And then Harry Plucky Potter, which is a significantly weaker effort. Yes, a very weak finish for all of these nicknames and stuff. But my hat goes off to Ludo. I've gone from ironic love to genuine love. He is a delight to have in this story. This is approximately the time that he bet his life savings <laughs> and other people's on Harry living or <laughs> Oh, man. Give me uncut gems, but instead it's Ludo Bagman. Oh. Just replace Kevin Garnett with Harry Potter, I guess. I've not seen uncut gems yet, so this is solely based off the trailers. And Adam <laughs> Sandler with Ludo Bagman. <laughs> Honestly, we'll watch. Then we get into what is truly the peak of the story, at least in my very biased lens, which is Ludo Bagman talking about the dragons, and he introduces the person training the dragons, <laughs> and Ludo Bagman introduces Charlie Weasley to the crowd. My two <laughs> most beloved characters that I need to know more about are crossing paths. I love that too, because no one in the crowd knows or cares who Charlie is, but that's very sweet of him. Everyone should know and care who Charlie is. I will never forgive J.K. Rowling for not including more Charlie. We needed more of it. This makes me very happy. It's peak Potterless content right here to have Ludo Bagman talking about Charlie Weasley. We've reached inception levels of my brand. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this is the fan service we talk about in this play. It's for you. This was all written. They knew JK had a vision. <laughs> <laughs> she knew I was going to make a podcast mostly dunking on her series. <laughs> she had one of those dreams that Harry has. She woke up in the night, narrated it to her husband. <laughs> I have to have a thing that has Ludo Bagman and Charlie Weasley interacting. <laughs> She's like writing it on a napkin like she always does. And he's like, we have paper now, hon. <laughs> <laughs> in two years, a boy will fall for my Ludo Bagman red herring so dramatically <laughs> while making a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You'll also call me a turf on Twitter, but I'm not going to notice that part. I'm just going to pretend I don't see it. <laughs> so Scorpius and Albus are goofing up pretty poorly with messing up Hermione's name. They call her Rose. Then they mess up knowing her name. They don't have an accent. It's not great. They're really messing up this whole time travel situation. It's almost like this plan required planning. Yeah, they could have talked about it a little, but... Of course, they did. Literally, and they had time. They have a time turner. <laughs> so the time turner starts making noises like it's going to send them back to the present. So they rush a little bit, but Albus uses Expelliarmus, which gets Cedric's wand away from him. Things start to go bad, but then they are shot back to the present, and we're not really sure what exactly transpired. <laughs> In this sorry, side note, I just noticed that Ludo calls Diggory Diggers. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He says, Cedric's, it's all gone wrong for Diggers. <laughs> Ludo Bagman really comes across pretty well. He's It's a big 180 of him from what we know from book four of him to this. He's very funny. Big fan. So back in the present... The only real difference that is alluded to is that Ron is dressed very fancily and has a very distinct part in his hair. But then Harry finds Scorpius and Albus 
and then Albus collapses because of pain in his arm. Did it ever explain how his arm broke? Or is it just he's back in the present and his arm is busted? Oh, hmm. I had to keep reading it back because in the next scene, scene eight's in the hospital wing, Madame Pomfrey says that it was as if Albus's arm broke 20 years ago and then set in a strange way. Yeah, but when did it break? I don't know if I missed it, but it's just all of a sudden Albus's arm is broken. Yeah, we have him casting the spell. He's casting Expelliarmus. And then he's grabbed and he goes back to the present. That's weird because it's sort of treating his broken arm, it's described almost like splinching. Yeah. Not in not in terms of the physicality, but like the symptoms, like what it looks like when it's written down is that Albus's arm somehow broke in the process of somewhere between casting Expelliarmus and then traveling back through time. But traveling through time shouldn't, physically affect your body in that way. It's also weird because they harp on this for a little bit and then it is never brought up again through the rest of the story. (laughs) I like that line too of like, oh, it's almost like his arm broke 20 years and mended in a weird way. I feel like from a comedy standpoint, that is just a moment of like, I want everyone on stage to pause, look at the camera, (laughs) let it sink in and let us laugh (laughs) at the obvious irony. It's like, yeah, that's what it feels like because that's exactly what it is. There must be some other medical condition she could have used to describe it. So Harry starts talking to painting Dumbledore in the hospital wing. And I'm very confused. Why is there a painting of Dumbledore in the hospital wing? What? Why? Because <laughs> he put Harry there many I times. Just, what? Why? What are we? What the? Why? <laughs> why? Oh, this is taking me back to our spirited discussion about portraits. Oh, at Dallas that was last very year. fun. Yeah, we spoke on a panel. That whole LeakyCon in Dallas was very fun because a lot had changed between the previous LeakyCon and then that LeakyCon that I had attended because Potterless got very big and I was big enough to just be on panels, which was very great for me. But it was fun because when the production team told me what I was doing, they were just like, yeah, we're having some things where we're just putting people on stage and then asking a very tough wizarding question. And then you guys are just going to talk for an hour. Yep. And I was like, oh, I feel barely qualified to do this. I just finished reading the books like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> And then we were on a panel, me, you, and Melissa talking about paintings. We were terrified, but it actually went really well until we got schooled by an 11-year-old during the Q&A session. Oh, yeah. They refuted everything that we had said, basically, and showed that they were far smarter and more thorough in their thought process about it than us. And We did, I believe we did invite them up to the panel at that point. We were like, you should do this instead. I immediately was like, my life is a sham. How have I been touted as a Harry Potter expert? Yeah, this is our first time invited as guests and we're like, never mind, I don't deserve <laughs> this. This idiot doesn't know anything. But we did get very into it with the portraits because this Dumbledore portrait does not behave like any portrait we've ever seen it's in the books with Harry. And that it has so much more personality. It has memory, it has thoughts and emotions and expresses things that living Dumbledore never expressed to Harry and would have or should have, but couldn't. And if a portrait can do that, if this portrait can do that, why can't the others? I'm like, what's... The rules, like, should we just get a portrait of Sirius made to talk Harry through the rest of his trauma? And what is so strange is that two scenes later, McGonagall warns about talking with portraits and that they aren't always correct and they aren't always accurate and all this other stuff. Again, why are things introduced and focused on and then immediately refuted? Yeah. I don't get it. I'm very (laughs) confused. So Harry's talking to the Dumbledore painting. And in classic Dumbledore fashion, he is just incredibly vague and then leaves before Harry can get a straight answer out of him. So at least he's true to form. (laughs) So Albus wakes up and uh, Harry is convinced, and this conversation with Dumbledore led him to this point, he is convinced that the black cloud that 
Bane was saying is surrounding Albus is not something, but someone, and he is convinced that that someone is Scorpius. We now know, after you know the plot twist of Delphi being evil, that Delphi is actually the black cloud that's around him. Doesn't help that the centaurs are always incredibly vague, too. All of Harry's people that tell him about the future and stuff are always so vague. It's not an easy life for him. (laughs) Honestly, Sybil Trelawney was the clearest. Yeah. So Harry has decided that Albus and Scorpius cannot be together and they must be separated and that he can't go near him and that he's going to monitor his whereabouts using the Marauder's Map. And this just feels really gross of Harry Potter. It's very abrupt and he's very convinced that he knows what's right. And he even has some quotes that are just very uncomfortable saying things such as, I don't need you to like me. I need you to obey me and saying, because I'm your father and I know better than you. I don't know. It felt very abrupt. And I I had a genuine question. Harry seems to have rapidly changed. Did the time traveling affect Harry Potter's attitude or is he just a poorly written character in this story? I think there's just no, I mean, well, I think it's both, but there's no way for us to know the answer to the former, right? Because they went back so far and even though they changed a tiny thing, like the way that these timelines work, it should have changed a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, We do see some little ripples, some like butterfly effect type stuff, but the fact that we are in a reality where all of the same stuff is true and like, Albus and Scorpius jumped off the Hogwarts Express and like some of the details are the same to a point that seems crazy. The fact that it takes Albus some time to figure out that he's not in his normal reality is shocking to me because I think enough would have changed because of them going back. It's very strange. I feel like this character turn of Harry is very abrupt. And over the next couple of scenes, he just becomes incredibly unlikable. Yes. It sucks because I sympathized with dad Harry up until this point. Sure, he has some times where he gets angry, says some things he shouldn't have, but he was at least a believable, normal, concerned father. And then when he gets into angry dad mode, it felt unbelievable, and it just killed all of the momentum of support that I had for him. And I was always confused watching the play and then reading it if it's supposed to be because the time travel changed him to make him grumpier or not. I was very confused. Yeah, it's one of, kind of like you said, um, you mentioned with like the portrait thing, which is totally different, but some of these things that you said get immediately refuted and don't pay off then. Like this is never going to be addressed that, oh, Harry was like this because of the timeline, because we messed with time when we changed people as well as events. Um, so yeah, I don't. we don't know. And I wish that if that were the reason that they wrote him this way, that it would somehow be accounted for. Albus does raise the concern a couple of scenes later when Scorpius finally gets Albus to realize that things have changed. Albus asks, oh, is that why my dad is acting differently? And then Scorpius immediately goes, I'm pretty sure your dad's exactly the same. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> why, I don't get why they keep introducing things and then shutting them down. And then what are we supposed to believe? I mean, Harry has a lot of these conversations with the adults or with Ginny that should take him away from this type of behavior. Yeah, it takes Harry too long to kind of come back down to being normal. I don't know. I really didn't enjoy it. Yeah. But you know what I do really enjoy past Mike? Being able to pay my rent. So we got to take a quick break here for Wingardium Adoridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by the Patreon. Yep. 
It keeps the show afloat and it makes me happy and it gives you bonus content. If you're all caught up on Potterless and you don't like waiting in between episodes, the Patreon is here for you because you will get access to hours upon hours of audio content from bonus episodes to director's commentary to more. The most recent bonus episode that I put up was me just clicking around and doing some fun stuff on wizardingworld.com. I did some quizzes. I retook my Patronus thing because they forgot what my Patronus was and I got something different. It was fun and silly. I also went on a 20 minute tangent telling a heartfelt story of how I got my first car and how I loved him very dearly and I was very sad that I had to give Steve away eventually at some point. It's really touching and probably the most sentimental moment that I've ever recorded onto a podcast of sorts. So if you want to get access to all that sweet bonus content, you can do so right now if you go to patreon.com slash potterless today. And now a word from our sponsors who are making it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. These ads are locally inserted, so if you live internationally, you might hear a ad in your language. Don't be surprised. And once these ads are done, we will get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get right 10% you can off get, your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So the next scene is Act 2, Scene 9. It's at the Hogwarts staircase. You have Albus chasing after Harry, and then they run into Ron, who this is our first clue that things are very different. He says that he doesn't run the joke shop anymore, and he's married to Padma instead of Hermione. And this is where he says, Padma, mother of Ponju. And this is what the inspiration of having you on 
for this part of Chris Child is we were doing a mischief at home stream uh, and this rant came up and immediately I wrote down on a piece of paper, get Proma on Potter list to talk about Ponju. So please, from your informed perspective, why is Ponju a bullshit Indian name that wouldn't exist? Because it is not a really Indian <laughs> name. It's a very, very, like, you could look through and find, like, maybe something vaguely that sounding. I'm literally just Googling it now again because I don't want to be wrong to truly anybody. And most of the first examples are, like, the top result is, what the hell is I a Ponju? I just Googled it. It's a BuzzFeed article. What the hell is a Ponju? <laughs> a great question. Then it's, like, Ponju Weasley. These are the top results. And the fact, like, I'm like, if that's the top result and you couldn't find more in actual Indian culture, then you have a problem. There's an island, mm -hmm. it says. And then the two examples I'm finding of a name are South Indian, which is not where Parvati and Padma are from. They're North Indian because their last name is North Indian. I don't know if they would, like, I just, also, ugh, I don't know where to begin. To me, as a white male that knows of many, unfortunately, very familiar with the bullshit that white people pull all of the time. Uh, we are very big fans of naming kids after just random places and pretty cities, even yeah. if we've never been to them. Like people naming their daughters Brooklyn. Have you been to Brooklyn? <laughs> it's not phenomenal. I know someone who did Sure, that. the food is great, but the public transit is awful and it's overpriced. An interesting thing I just realized about this that qualifies me to talk about it in a different way that I literally had not thought of until now <gasps> is that um, several of my cousins are like British Indian women who were like, so their parents are Indian. They grew up in the UK, in England or Scotland and who have married English or Irish men and have mixed children. And they do not name their children after random obscure islands on the Indian subcontinent. They find sort of gender neutral, ethnically ambiguous names that can be pronounced in school, but that have like enough connection or like connection to their Indian heritage. So they like, my nieces are named like Maya and Leela and stuff that is Indian, but also very easy to pronounce and might not necessarily be Indian if you found it in other instances in the wild. I, so I don't think that, you know, in this timeline where Ron and Padma are married and have a kid, I don't think that's what they would name their kid. More than likely, it would be a fully English name or something more in between. Padma is just, a st <laughs> just not a name. And then here's the thing. When I read this, I remember this now, reading it in text form again. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God. Padma's back in. We have the Indian character back in. Ooh, I was like, oh, thinking about, I was like, can, do I like read her part for fun? Or like, will there be an Indian actress on stage? No, because the two South Asian characters, which is as many as there are in the original series as well, who have way more screen time or like time in the books that they're seeing. Two South Asian characters are introduced in this one or two sentences of Chris Child. And I was so excited about it because Parvati and Padma got a lot to do in the original series. And I was like, here we go. She's back. She's an adult. Like, this is me. This is going to be like the adult me, the Ravenclaw <laughs> Indian woman. And she does not show up. No, not she is just talked about. <laughs> mythical Bunju shows up. So they're both mentioned. And I guess they were like, we have our quota of characters of color. We don't need to bring these two on. It feels like the writers <laughs> decided, oh, what's a thing that white people do sometimes? They name their kids after locations. Let's do that, but South Asian. And let's just pick a, an island that sounds pretty and Indian enough. And they're just like, Ponju, yeah, that sounds right. If Ron to his Indian wife were like, let's name our kid after a random island, she'd be like, that's dumb. We're not doing that. Because <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like there's a smaller pool of names. Like you have more of the common names for first names coming up. So is that like a traditional thing? Like you go with a more classic name like Rohan or Vishnu or stuff like that? 
and not just like name your kid Apple or Jet or all the things that celebrities do. I feel like for my generation, which would be Parvati and Padma's generation as well, like we're first generation, I'm assuming also like I don't know if their parents are from India or if their grandparents are what. Mm -hmm. For me, it would be more likely some of those common names would be more popular in my generation to name your children because they're easier to pronounce. Like a Rohan or a Priya is easier to pronounce, but there are also already a lot of Rohans and Priyas. So Mm -hmm. we would kind of want that originality. I do think that pronunciation is the number one thing for first and second generation uh, South Asians. And that's not here because Padma, her name is Padma. She's grown up being called Padma. Her sister, Parvati, has grown up being called Parvati by everyone. This is like my number one thing that I go through fandom doing is an undoing is like telling people that's how these names are pronounced. I try so hard to adhere to the pronunciations. <laughs> it's your pin tweet. I'm always trying my best. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Everyone's trying their best, including myself. Panju sounds like a nickname more than anything. Like I've known of people who are like Sanju or Anju because it's short for like Sanjay or Anjali, something like that. Mm -hmm. So Anju would be a longer name that I don't even know what it would be. And I just can't imagine these like English students doing fine with that. Like seeing these letters in this combination, if this is the reaction I'm having, (laughs) white people hate seeing letters together that they're not used to seeing together. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. So we have Panju. Don't worry, he's not really a character. He's just disgust. Yeah, he doesn't even get to speak or do anything. He also sounds kind of cool. Like, I wish we'd met him. Maybe then I would like him more. Yeah, he does seem like a chill dude, but we can't even be bothered to have him. Good thing we had Carl Jenkins have a line. (laughs) (laughs) And Polly, what's her face? Polly Chapman. Polly Chapman. Uh, But yeah, we can't be bothered to give... Beloved Ponju, our sweet, sweet boy. <laughs> I do care about him, my son, I guess. <laughs> I'm just being gaslit by this play. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. This is <laughs> here, come on, Potter. Listen, talk about all the things that you hate at once. <laughs> Please. It'll be great for for my, the listeners' entertainment. It's fine. I had some wine in pregame. <laughs> Oh, man. Ponju is why Ron is here, because apparently Ponju's gotten himself into trouble. And then a Gryffindor thing is clarified earlier in a conversation. Harry was telling Albus that he has to stay in the Gryffindor common room, and that confused Albus because he's a Slytherin. But you learn in this time travel thing, it's changed to where Albus got sorted into Gryffindor because he persuaded the sorting hat to put him into Gryffindor because Ponju bet that <laughs> that Albus couldn't get into Gryffindor to save his life, so Albus just wanted to spite him. Which, again, Ponju seems pretty cool. His name sucks, but he seems like a chill dude. This is a crazy story to just be common knowledge. Like, even Harry persuading the Sorting Hat was such a like, something that he guarded so close to himself mm-hmm. because he was really embarrassed about it. Not only has Albus apparently told everyone this story, but it's the result of a bet, and, like, everyone just talks about it like it's some fun family anecdote. Ponju seems more like a Weasley than Rose does. <laughs> You chose Gryffindor to spite him. Like, why is Albus flexing on that? He was very terrified to be in Slytherin. Yeah, I don't know. So then, a little later on in the scene, Albus and Scorpius have the classic superhero breakup type scene where they can't see each other and it would just be better if we went our separate ways. And Scorpius is left sad and scorned and downtrodden off in the corner. And that's the end of that scene. So we get into Act 2, Scene 10, which is in Hogwarts in the headmistress's office. So the, the narrator says... McGonagall is full of unhappiness. Harry is full of purpose. Ginny is not sure what she's supposed to be. This is not Ginny Weasley. Ginny Weasley is a person that always is sure of herself and knows what to do and confident, and I don't enjoy that. It's just Ginny doesn't know how to feel. Yes, she does. That is rough to read it like that. So upset. 
So Harry is explaining to McGonagall his great map plan, which is basically just turning McGonagall into surveillance, which is not great. Yeah, which is also what Harry does in book six and book seven. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that are just not new Mm -hmm. that are being presented to us as if they're new. Yeah. He mentions that Dumbledore is part of what led him to this decision, and this is where McGonagall warns him that paintings aren't people. Harry then calls out McGonagall for not having kids, trying to invalidate her opinion. Truly bonkers. This is not how Harry Potter would communicate with Minerva McGonagall, whom he respects so much. And this is where, again, I thought this has to be some sort of time turner changing him because there's no way Harry Potter would do this. He then threatens the school if McGonagall doesn't use the map as he said. He's going to crack down on her. It's just such a bonkers interaction. Yeah, and Harry has a history of seeing people use Hogwarts or manipulate it because of their personal agendas. Would not be okay with that. <sighs> it's so confusing. It is so, so, so confusing. I do. I like the theory that the time travel changed him. Because I have that's to making a that. lot of this. That's the only way to reconcile a lot of it. Yeah. So scene 11 is the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom. And this big twist now is that Hermione is the professor. There's a quote that she says that I don't understand, and I don't know if you do. She says that she is teaching, quote, for my sins. What is that a reference to? I'm baffled. I hate it. I think it's comic relief. There's the idea that she's, like, doing this unforgiving job. It's a good job. It's a good job, and she would be so good at it, and she would love it. Maybe the time turner changed her, too. What also doesn't make sense is Defense Against the Dark Arts was her worst subject. So I don't know why she's teaching it. (laughs) They basically have just turned this alternate reality, Hermione, into Snape where she is mean and takes delight out of being mean, and I don't get it because I don't think Hermione would ever be like that. I know this is an alternate reality, so maybe it's all moot, but it's confusing. This also makes Harry's line to McGonagall about her not having children even worse. Yes. Because his best friend is revealed to be unmarried without children. Yes. It's gross. I don't like it. So Hermione is trying to teach a lesson about the Patronus charm, and Albus is being not aware of the time travel situation. You would think that someone who has time traveled and their whole point of time travel was to try and change stuff you would think that he would be more aware of stuff changing but he's very thick i guess yeah not the brightest he was never going to go back into a reality that was exactly identical to the one that he left because he like just by going back started changing stuff right. just by existing in the past yeah uh, i don't know so he ends up losing 80 total points for gryffindor by <laughs> continuing to talk to hermione and not recognize that she's not married to Ron and all this stuff. Polly Chapman comes back and thinks that he's just trying to sabotage Gryffindor points, which I think is actually kind of funny, but not not a good look for our, our young Albus here. So then we get into scene 12, which is the staircase. And this scene in the play is very cool. It is awesome. Ugh. And the writing of this does not do it anywhere near as justice. It just seems... Very confusing the way it's written through stage direction. This is a very common theme of this story is that I don't think things translate very well to being written down. The best I can offer to people who haven't seen it is to listen to this track on the Chris Child soundtrack, uh-huh. which is, I believe, on Spotify and like just available for most major uh, music outlets. It's called Staircase Ballet, and it just listening to this will give you, a much, even while you read these confusing directions, will give you a much better sense of it because it is it's so much more like poetic visually. And there's just, yeah, there's just no other way. There's no other way to get it. And there's so many things about this that I don't like. One thing I don't like about Chris Child on principle is that it limits 
Harry Potter canon by accessibility, which is just so not Harry Potter. Like books are already expensive, but you could always get it from a library, Harry Potter, right? You could get it secondhand. There was a way to read it. There's always a way to read that story and anyone could read that story. And you cannot experience Cursed Child as it was meant to be experienced unless you have thousands of dollars. And that's not fair. Yeah. That's not what Harry Potter is about. It's really gross. And I feel bad for people. I was fortunate enough to live in New York, so it wasn't that hard for me to see it. It was still expensive for me to buy the tickets, but I didn't have to buy plane tickets and hotels and all this other stuff. I am surprised that there's no video version, no recorded London cast original run, anything that you could watch because you would hope that people can access it. And I guess the point of this book is to try and do that, but really it's to try to make money. What's also bonkers, I was looking at the inside cover of the book that I have, $30? Yeah. For when it originally play. came out? That is such a big price. For a rehearsal script and a hardcover. Like, it doesn't need any of... Yeah, this it, the money-grabbing of it is... It just makes me feel sick. No. And I'm sure, you know, you mentioned this digital version. I'm sure we're at a point where that's being discussed right now. Right. Because the play isn't on right now. The play is not making money. Yeah. They should do it. Why not? I believe, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Puffs, which is very, very good. Puffs is a superior Harry Potter play. Yeah. I honestly enjoyed Puffs way more than I enjoyed Cursed Child. I think there's a recorded version on Puffs that you can watch on Amazon Prime for like 10 or 15 bucks. Yep. And I would recommend everyone do that. You can also watch a Harry Potter musical for free. Oh, don't worry. Everyone has told me that. <laughs> I will be covering that soon. But I literally get an email every single day telling me to cover a Harry Potter musical. I'm wearing my Harry Potter musical t-shirt. <laughs> I saw it noticed it's very on bread. But yeah, I'm I it sucks and this scene is really cool when you see it live. I think this is the peak when people say all oh, the effects and stuff are cool. It's this scene and it does not translate to the written word at all. It doesn't even come close. So scene yeah. 13 is in the Potter House kitchen. Draco enters and he gets really angry. Then Harry Potter does another unbelievable thing, which he starts to give credibility to the rumors that Scorpius might not be his kid. He asks Draco, oh, are you sure he's yours? Ugh. This Harry Potter is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks. So Draco and Harry get all set to duel, and they just throw a bunch of spells. On stage, it looks cooler because things happen every time they do a spell, but reading it, it's just, it, it feels like a very long duel yeah. <laughs> of a bunch of spells, but there are some good gems. At one point, Draco says, keep up, old man, and then <laughs> Harry says, we're the same age, Draco, which is very good. Then Ginny says, I only left this room three minutes ago, and then as the narrator describes drier than dry, she <laughs> says, what did I miss when she comes back into the whole house being destroyed by the duel, which is pretty good. So there are still some fun moments. And this is the Ginny that I wanted more of. Yeah, I do think Ginny gets a little better throughout the play. I also love this scene does feel more like Harry and Draco as adults. I mm -hmm. do think they would sometimes slip into their old ways. I don't know if it would be as bad as like Harry feeding the room. That's that, the part that sucks. That Voldemort's son has been adopted by Draco. But the spontaneous duel, I do think that sometimes they would probably be in a situation where they couldn't keep themselves from just getting a little a little angry. And totally. the physical manifestation of that is much better than being like, hey, maybe you're raising Voldemort's child. Yeah, not fun. So scene 14 is back at Hogwarts in the staircases and you have Delphi sneaking up on Scorpius. Somehow she snuck into the school and we're just not talking about it. <laughs> the safest place. <laughs> so, and what's also confusing to me is that Delphi has all of the memory of them doing the Time Turner stuff. Now, all of Time Turner stuff is already not 100% sensical. It already is a weird, not perfect 
semi-broken time mm -hmm. travel thing if you're just going by Azkaban. But now we have this new special time turner that can go even farther in the past, which makes things even messier. Yeah. So I use Azkaban as, as set, sort of setting the rules for time travel in right. this universe. Yes. Which is why I don't go into a lot of like the potential holes there. Sure. But then with that, if you assume that is how time travel works in Harry Potter and then you come to this, it's just, it all falls apart. What doesn't make sense here is that Delphi has knowledge of all of the time turner stuff. And I guess the only justification you can say is that if you knew about the time turning situation, you are aware that time has been changed. That's the only justification I can think. Which is insane though, because time is like physics, and it doesn't know what like knowledge you have in your brain. Right. So if anything, you could make the claim that it makes sense. I think it makes more sense that Albus and Scorpius would know that they time traveled because that holds true to what happened in book three. Yes. And they actually did it. Delphi knowing about it is so strange. I guess Dumbledore knew about it in book three, but he doesn't like confirm. Like he knew that that was his plan and that was what he was telling them to yeah. do. And then when they came back, he was like, oh, I guess you did it. He doesn't get that confirmation until they talk to him about it, until they tell him. He doesn't know the details. Dumbledore, I think in that instance, is just familiar with how time turners work yeah. and not necessarily the exact situation. They have done such a specific use of time turners here that it is very strange that Delphi knows everything that's going on. And that just kind of lost me in terms of believing this wild plot. Mm. So she tells Scorpius that Albus needs him because Albus has been writing her some letters and he seems really upset. So Scorpius is going to try to snap him out of it, I guess. Here's a great word. Skewif. The skewif. Ron Hermione, you've gone completely skewif. I have nothing to add there, but that's fun. Is that like a real thing or is that a British thing? I've never heard that. That might be well, a British thing. perfect. I'll turn to our UK correspondent, Dottie James, to wonder if skewif is a British thing or not. And now it is time for British Quandaries with UK correspondent, Dottie James. For something to be skew with means that it's off-center or lopsided or slightly wonky. It's still a commonly used phrase here in the UK, but it's less common for my generation to use it than it would be for my parents' generation to use it, for example. This has been British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. Thanks, Dottie. Now I know what skew means. As do I. <laughs> and we're all wiser for it. <laughs> So we're back in the Potter kitchen, and we have a more normal conversation happening now where Draco basically reveals to Harry that he was always jealous of his friendship with Ron and Hermione because all he had was Crab and Goyle, which I think is a nice conversation. I wish Draco was more like this, mm -hmm. a grown man that has gone through some sort of character development. And Ginny even says that she agrees that she was jealous because she didn't have as close of friends too. And this is another good Ginny moment. I actually really like this scene and I just wanted Draco and Ginny to be more like this throughout the whole play. Yeah. But then Draco warns that isolation can put people into a dark place. Oh no. And Ginny agrees. So then that kind of snaps Harry into realizing that he's been a prat, to quote Ron, and he's got to go back and fix the situation, apologize to the people that he was really mean to. Uh, and I, th I thought he realized that in act one. I thought he realized that in many, many scenes. Right. That's what's uh, the, the fluctuation of Harry. He was also somewhat aware of it while it was happening, mm -hmm. which is a thing that definitely happens to a lot of people, you know, especially with people you love is like, sometimes you can see yourself, you can feel and witness the interactions going wrong and you know exactly how they're going wrong and you can't pull out of it. But once he realized it, he didn't, yeah, what sucks is that there is a point when he's being really mean to McGonagall that Ginny screams Harry at him and that doesn't snap him out of it. And that made me really upset. And that's not one where I think 
I think he would be more careful with her as you right. know, like you said when we were on that scene. Yeah. He would know better. Exactly. And this is something there are times when I can get too heated or angry or whatever. And all it takes is Kelly saying to me, even just shooting me a look, and then I'm immediately snapped out of it. It just made me sad that that wasn't enough to snap Harry out of it. And I wanted that for him and Ginny and their relationship. And it's, I don't like it. (laughs) So scene 16 is at the Hogwarts library. You have Scorpius and Albus talking. Scorpius is revealing why things changed. So Hermione thought that the two Durmstrang boys, so Scorpius and Albus, were told by Crumb to mess with Cedric's wand. So rather than go to the ball with Crumb like she was supposed to, she instead went with Rana's friends. But by going with Rana's friends, there was never that Crumb jealousy to put Ron over the edge. And then it says Ron danced with Padma and it worked out better. And they just never got over that friend hump. And that's why things went the way they did. So there's part of this that's clever and part of this that sucks. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think the Durmstrang boys bit causing suspicion for Hermione to then not go out with Crumb is clever. And that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And goes well. The f- suggestion that Ron and Hermione would never have gotten together if Ron hadn't been made jealous yeah. four years before they started dating sucks. That sucks. I would have found it more believable if Hermione went with someone else. It could have been interesting if Hermione went with Cedric or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's a conversation. Neville didn't have a date for a while. I mean, I know he went with Ginny. But sure, like- so- something more believable because you're right. I liked the one part and then immediately the next line, I thought, ah, that I don't buy it anymore. <laughs> I don't think no one else would have asked Hermione because the whole thing in Goblet Fire is that Ron asks her as a last resort and she's already been asked. She's been asked out by Victor for, at that point, who knows, like weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that no one, like, I think, well, no, Neville did ask her. Neville did ask her before Ron did. I don't remember him doing that. I think, uh, oh God, I should really check this. Ron still would have known that Victor was going to go with her. And I feel like even that would have made him jealous enough. Yeah. No, so Neville did ask Hermione because Ron checks in about it. Ron hears from Neville that Hermione said no because uh, she's back with someone else. And he just assumed that that was an excuse to not go with Neville. Right, right, right. So that means that in this version that she did use it as an excuse to not go with Neville, which is uh. Albus wonders if Harry is different because of the time turning. And that is when Scorpius says, no, I think your dad's exactly the same, which kind of sucks. But then Scorpius cites Croker's Law. Was this a thing in book three or is this new for this story? So this is a thing that's not mentioned in the books. I believe Croker's Law is one of those supplemental jkrowling.com uh, type things. That was, or like Pottermore. Like it's a thing that came up between Prisoner of Azkaban, at least, and okay. Cursed Child. But I it's guess. not in the books. So Croker's Law says that five hours is the max that you can go back without messing stuff up. Feels very arbitrary, but here we are. But that's why so many things have changed. Albus wants to go back and fix things. Scorpius is worried that things are going to get even worse. Then Albus is kind of shitty to Scorpius, saying things like, I wasn't a loser before I met you, and that Scorpius is holding him back. Ugh. Scorpius then has a really solid moment where the basic summary is, you think that your life is bad, have you considered my life? And then describes all the stuff that he's going through, and that makes Albus realize that he was being a jerk. And I really enjoyed these lines from Scorpius. I thought they were really nice and touching and sensible. And again, Scorpius is really good. I like him a lot. Sorry, I just went back to look at Crooker's Law because I accepted that about it, Uh but it is not mentioned until Crooker's Child. Oh, wow, this is the first instance, so she didn't talk about it anywhere else. Not even, yeah, no Pottermore, no jkrowling.com. I think the hour rule was established somewhere. But it was never Named. The time turners are supposed to be destroyed anyway after Order of the Phoenix. So why are we naming it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> all these extra details. And extra details that are brought up 
when they're convenient. That's the thing. It's like yeah. if we had heard of Croker's Law before, it would have been like, oh, it applies now because of this reason. Yeah. But then it's just introduced to explain away something that was introduced to drive the plot forward. It's just unnecessary. You don't need to clarify by saying, oh, because of Croker's Law, we messed stuff up. All you got to say is we went back 20 years. We <laughs> messed stuff up. We get it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting over-explained and things are getting over-justified. Mm. We understand that things are going to change a lot if you go back a lot. It's normal. Again, I have seen Back to the Future. <laughs> Why can't that just be canonical in the Harry Potter series? I don't know. <laughs> that would be fan service to me personally, and I demand it. <laughs> I mean, Doc Brown would be a Ravenclaw, and Marty would be a Gryffindor. It's very easy. Yeah. Biff is a Slytherin. Yeah, this is all perfect. We're here. We're there. <laughs> so Albus comes back down to Earth a little bit. McGonagall enters, they hide under the invisibility cloak, and McGonagall knows that they're definitely using it, but she doesn't care, which is a great McGonagall moment. McGonagall is very well done in this play. Yes. Props to the writing of her. And I love this because she kind of wants them to be together mm-hmm. and wants to not have to it's catch so them together, good. and that's exactly what she does in the scene. McGonagall said gay rights. Because <laughs> especially she's like, if I didn't see you, I didn't see you. She doesn't know what's going on under that cloak. Also, she works at a high school, so she can guess what's going on under the yes. cloak. Yes. So Alba apologizes for the things that he said. He refutes the Voldemort rumors to Scorpius saying that Scorpius is kind and Voldemort couldn't have a kind child. They make up and it's it's actually pretty sweet. So then Albus has a plan. And that's the end of the scene. The next one is on the Hogwarts stairs. There's an awkward Ron and Hermione conversation solely inspired by Albus mentioning earlier when he didn't realize that time had changed that they got together. There's just big tension energy and that's pretty much the scene. Yeah. So I guess it's cute. They're just like, ooh, this teenager thinks we should fuck. Yeah, it's weird. It's very, very strange. And I also don't like that Ron is married and clearly is unhappy about it. And this is a conversation that he's having with his lifelong friend. Uh, it, just, it made me uncomfortable. So then we get into scene 18 in the headmistress's office. This is Harry coming in and basically apologizing to everyone. So he's just had a, I guess, 10 scene run of him being a jerk. And now he's like, oh, sorry guys, it's, it's all bad. Let's find the kids. And... <laughs> That's pretty much that. That's that is a pretty hairy move, but just the the meanness prior to this was not hairy enough. Exactly, it's just is very very abrupt. So then, scene nineteen is the Hogwarts girls' bathroom, and this is where the plan is revealed. And basically, Albus's plan is to use Moaning Myrtle to help figure out how they can get into the lake for the second task to embarrass Cedric so bad that he doesn't do well in the rest of the tournament, and they talk to Myrtle, and she says how they can go through this pipe, and it goes directly to the lake. Talks about how that ruins some health and safety violations, which I think is pretty funny (laughs) that one of the pipes goes directly into the lake. I do love this scene because Myrtle is fantastic. Thirsty Myrtle, I'm extremely here for. Myrtle's always fun. Always creepy because it's children, but it still is always fun. It's played well in the movies. It's played well in this play. It played well in Puffs. She's also frozen in time as a teenager because she died Ah, at that age. So it's different when Harry and Draco as dads come in. (laughs) She's still, I do think she plays it well in a way that's very funny yeah. M- Myrtle is always fun. The correct type of comic relief. Yes. But what is very interesting is that she reveals her full name. She gets mad at being called Moaning Myrtle. She says her name is Myrtle Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Which feels very strange here recording this podcast in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how Senator Warren feels about that. I feel like she would love it. I feel like she'd be great about it. I think it's 
interesting how, and again, this is a, I'm not saying this respectfully. I think it's very convenient the way that the fact that their plan is to go back and embarrass Cedric and embarrassing Cedric is what ends up causing the ripple in time yeah. for the next act. It's weird that embarrassment is what leads to the very severe change. Right. It's weird that their sort of half-baked guess at what would work actually worked and then just didn't work in the way that they expected. I do appreciate that the plan, their reasoning of we're going to embarrass Cedric is that we're so clumsy and good at getting embarrassed ourselves. We should do the one thing we're good at. I did like that. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, let's embarrass this hot person and it'll destroy him. (laughs) So they're going to use gillyweed and all this other stuff. They end up finally using the time turner. And that's the end of this scene. Scene 20 and the final scene of this act and the final one of this episode is them being back in time. You, you have Ludo Bagman making more fun of the Bo Batten when he, <laughs> he does the applause bit again. And then he says, quote, the French are getting into this after their noted less loud applause. <laughs> so they are using Engorgio is the plan of the spell that Albus and Scorpius are going to use. They're under the water. They use it on Cedric. He basically turns into a big balloon and floats away. Ludo Bagman talks about how embarrassing it is. And then again, the time turner starts to shake and they go back to the present. But this present is very different because Scorpius is in the lake. It's only Scorpius. There's no Albus. And who is there to tell Scorpius to get himself out of the lake? It is Umbridge, and it is headmistress Dolores Umbridge, (gasps) which is very bad. This is chilling. This is chilling even to read. I got to say, this is well-crafted. Yeah. This I thoroughly enjoyed in that it is horrifying. To bring back Umbridge, I think, is great. I think it's more powerful to have her as headmistress than it is to have someone like Lucius or Snape or Voldemort himself. I think it's so chilling to have Umbridge back because we wouldn't really expect her to be back, but then it also makes 100% sense that it would be her. I really liked it. It, You're right. It's chilling. It's terrifying. It's the worst, but also the best. Yeah, and that end scene, that is the end of this play and ever, I will say every time the, every time the two times I've seen mm-hmm. it I haven't seen it a million times like some sort of <laughs> psycho but even the stage directions this is visually very arresting but even reading it it is so scary to like you said just to have umbrage of all people back and to and also just Scorpius being alone for him to surface in the lake and then not have his friend come through right and the final thing that she says is that he can't ruin Voldemort day and also mentions that Harry Potter died tragically in the Battle of Hogwarts, but phrases it saying that he was part of the Dumbledore terrorists that died, which is just such terrifying phrasing. And then, yeah, ends up by saying it's Voldemort Day. And then Voldemort Day, and that's the end of the play here written-wise. I think it's good. It's very scary. It's the worst kind of alternate reality to be in. Scorpius had some good foreshadowing of what if things get worse, and now things are (laughs) the worst they can possibly be, and that's the end of the story. So props to Cursed Child. At least this little plot device, even though the way we arrived here is kind of strange and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I do like this. It's scary in a good way. Yeah, I do. And uh, we glossed over one thing, which I love, but was so confused by, which is the fireworks declaring Ron loves Hermione as Cedric rises out of the water. Yeah. It wasn't really said in the written version, but I feel like in the play, they made a point of saying that they want to get Ron and Hermione back together. So they've, Scorpius and Albus have done this. Yes, but that is also, which is a 
very silly move on their part because Ron and Hermione are not able to read these fireworks because they're both unconscious at the bottom of the lake. Exactly. So I don't know what the change in this would have been. Would people afterwards tell them that it happened? And then embarrass them into dating? I don't know what they're going for here. Not very well thought out by Albus and Scorpius. (laughs) Yeah, they don't mind. Like, this is not going to be the thing that I get the most mad about in this play because Ron does love Hermione, but it's just... It's strange because I don't know what Albus and Scorpius thought was going to happen unless they didn't know that they were under the water, but they should have. This is a classic (laughs) case of the wizarding world not knowing its own history. There we are. And that's where we're going to leave this first part one of... Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So, Perma, how do you feel now with discussing Act 2 and where we are at the end of what is a first night of a play? This is a whole play. Yeah. that's. <laughs> uh, I will say I feel better reading it this time. Okay. I think a lot of the problems that I had with this part make more sense thinking that the time travel changed people, like you said. Even though that is refuted by Scorpius, he's not an expert. Right. Uh, and this is, I will say, in, on stage also, there's some really cool visuals in this part, mm-hmm. so I did like it better. I remember the last time I saw it that I liked... Act one better than act two, act two better than act three, act three better than act four, but who knows? This was better. I think from a reading perspective, I enjoyed act two more than act one just because more stuff happened and act one felt very exposition-y. So I think just, especially when you're reading something that is almost entirely dialogue, I think it helps to have more stakes and more action going on. And I think the action stuff is fun. So I personally, just from reading it, I enjoyed Act 2 more than Act 1. And also, Act 2 is all new stuff, and a good chunk of Act 1 is just the epilogue, which we've already read. Yeah. Epilogue and exposition, expository dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Act 2 does have Funju going against Uh, it. Oh, that's, yep, that's a, mm, a, for all the pros. If I met him, he seems cool. Bring him in. Yeah. Give Funju a scene, and maybe I'll like him better. Give him a scene and a different name, and we'll like him better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Any name. Name him Broma. It's a real name. I promise. Boom. Yes. Wonderful. So, Broma, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, If people want to find you on the internet, where can they do so? If people want to find me online, I am Promo What Up on almost every social media platform. I think all of them. Nice. Yeah. P-R-O-M-A What Up spelled not in a cool way. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for discussing this play, giving all of the listeners the Ponju rant we all needed. Anytime. <laughs> it has now been fully documented and will live forever on this podcast. So it, your your legacy will live forever. It's, it's immortalized now. <laughs> My skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining. And listeners, thanks for listening. And as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, before they celebrate Voldemort Day, I guess, <laughs> wizard on! <laughs> the same sweatpants and t-shirt every single day in your home and you want to spice things up a little bit? Well, why don't you do so with some Multitude merch? We've got amazing t-shirts and more up there, but we also have new merchandise. We've got some new digital stuff up there. Join the party, put up a whole digital bundle up there. I'm working on a digital bundle for Potterless right now that may be up by the time you're hearing this. If you want to see all of this wonderful stuff and get some great Multitude swag in your possession, you can do so at multitude.production/merch today. Powderless was created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary Dodge, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadanira, Audra Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian the Owl, Haley Hastings, Moster, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Bosile, Liz Bigelow, Brandon Pickens, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou Friede, Jay Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Summer Rathel, Andrea Crock, Justin Mon- 
Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Eddie, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Eileen Gazesh, Keegan Curran, Mr. Folk, Maya, Flor Sake, Siri Scarsfjord, Georgia Davis, Skyla Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Elizabeth Christofferson, Michael David Yordi, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly Otilio, Carrie Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Samantha Lentz, Aurora Fruhoff, Marco Cepeda, Courtney Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Brianna Jordan, McKenna Tweedy, Heather Langeal, Brad Harding, Thomas Chavara, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Laurie McDonald, Chrissy Tew, Jarls Fiven, Haley Logan, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Janin Rose Daub, Nicole Linzer, Callahan and Deris, Kylo the Husky, Leah Reed, Melissa Rabb, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Bill Gill, Victoria Colcaperi, Elizabeth Yu, Britt McLean, Becca Spry, Reese Diggin, Adam Graham, Joseph Tort, Lily's Mom, T Run Money, Madison Kyle, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, GK Have It Your Way, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Gerabat, Melanie Dugreif, David Douglas, Maria, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Yimki Bony Pony, Jacob Rossitano, Kelsey Gillespie, Taco Blowfish, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Rochelle Mobs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, Riley Kittis, Colleen Waters, Stindavactor, Laurel Happy, Ross Ann Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda Hurley, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy, Alexandra Harrison, Richard Johnson, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Andrin Kaufman, K.A. Rob, Steve Trelora, Lior Nahum, Angela Hill, Julia Buzak, Demi Lynn, Kelsey Wallace, Michael Beck, Callista Delano, She Who Doesn't Have to Be Named, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Kampaman. As if you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. For bonus content, you can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless. And for merch, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show by reaching out directly or leaving a review online, that really does help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, Wizard on! Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.